Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, and alongside me is my co-host, fellow Pensburg contributor, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, uh, I wish we were recording this episode in uh, much more happier spirits uh, with much more positive things to talk about in relation to the Penguins. But, uh, Robbie, I'm just being blunt. Uh, there is not a lot of positives to, to take away since the last week of uh, Penguin games have been played. Uh, how have you been since last week's episode? Personally, actually really good. And you personally can't complain. Uh, as a Penguins fan, obviously not. But personally good. So we're going to start with that. Personally good. And we'll start it on a good note. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I'll agree. Yeah, personally, uh, you know, life life is very very good right now. Heading into the holiday season, uh, the same cannot be said for these Pittsburgh Penguins, as uh, they're they're losers of six straight games after su- such a hot start. Uh, the team got off to such an impressive start early on, and now, even though we're not we're in the beginning of November, that hot start feels like a distant memory. You know, you and I, Robbie, are connected to Twitter uh, very frequently. Uh, I, I'd consider both of us very much active members of the Penguins online community, uh, fan base, whatever you want to call it. And uh, many members of this fan base are, they could be overreacting to what is a, an, an October, November slump. I see both sides of the camp. I see a lot of people talking about, hey, it's only October, November. You can't win the Stanley Cup uh, before Thanksgiving, and that's true. You know, maybe come February, March, this team is going to look completely different. On the other hand, I, I see people saying, "Yeah, you can't win the Stanley Cup in November, uh, but if if you're not in a playoff spot, or if you're not even in a wild card spot by American Thanksgiving, the odds of you making the Stanley Cup playoffs dwindle drastically as we head into the winter months." Looking at the Penguins. Over the last week and a half to two weeks, they have lost several games. Multiple goal leads have been blown. Not enough goals have been scored in other contests. 
some games, they've only scored one or two goals at most. That's hardly, if ever, going to win you many games in the National Hockey League. And questions continue to persist, Robbie, about several of these players, uh, especially after the most recent loss against the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, we're recording this the day after the Buffalo Sabres loss. Many people are, are still harping on the fact that, and it's something we talked about last week, uh, rather ineffective depth in the bottom six. Brian Dumoulin continues to struggle uh, as a top-pairing defenseman along Chris Letang. Robbie, it seems like the sky is falling in, in Pittsburgh Penguins land. Are, are, are we pressing the panic button too early? Or from what we've seen in a relatively small sample size, the season isn't even a full month old yet. Are we pressing the panic button too early? Or are there concerns that, that will linger well into the winter months. What do you think? So, yeah, it's it's a very complicated kind of scenario to break down here with what the Penguins are currently in. I definitely think that there is a vast overreaction. And I think there is an appropriate reaction as well that is not a panic button, but it's not to say that, oh, they were this and this last year, everything's going to be fine. Because... What it's very clear what the issue is, and if that issue is not addressed, the Penguins are going to struggle. Now, I will say that I think a part of the overreaction comes from a sect of fans that really don't know what bad Penguins hockey is. That, and this isn't I'm not pointing names at specific individuals or anything like that or calling out, but there's a certain sect of fans that are younger that don't really remember bad bad penguins hockey we're talking rico fada dick tarnstrom bad penguins hockey and i think that everybody is so ready to put the nail in the penguins window i'm not saying they're gonna win the, i'm not even gonna say they make the playoffs but there is a overreaction there's an appropriate reaction you can underreact to the saying that it's completely like, oh, they'll be fine. They're the blah, blah, blah. They're the Penguins, Crosby, Malkin. If Crosby and Malkin were the problem, I'd say, okay, those guys are eventually going to kick it in and things are going to write themselves. Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, Rust, Raquel, Zucker are not the problem right now. They are playing excellent hockey. Top-tier elite hockey right now. They are doing everything the Penguins could ask for them. They are living up to their contracts. They are doing exactly what they need to be doing for the Penguins to be good. There's no complaining about those guys. Right now, the expected goals for, for Zucker, 63.4%. Uh, Gensel, 62.09. Malkin, 61.18. Crosby, 60.54. Russ, 60.26. Raquel, 58.37. Crosby, Malkin, and Gensel are all over a goal per, uh, a point per game. Zucker has eight and nine games. Russ has eight and 11. Raquel has a tie for the team lead with five goals. That's not the problem. So I can't sit here and say, oh, that once those guys turn on, the Penguins are going to be fine. Those guys are on. They are fully engaged and playing some of the best hockey across the league. That's not the problem. The problem is... Anybody below that top six. That includes Jeff Carter. Uh, Dan Hine had a nice streak, but he's kind of 
quieted it off. Kasperi Kapanen has been just dreadful since uh, since the first like week of the season. Brock McGinn, again, he's playing better than some of those guys, but not good enough. Josh Archibald, I almost honestly can't complain that much about Josh Archibald because he's playing for, for a bottom for their bottom six. He's probably their best bottom six guy through these through this part of the season so far. Jeff Carter, Ryan Paling, those guys have been simply not good enough, and that falls on the general manager signing the big guns this offseason. Fantastic, awesome. That don't matter if your bottom six is as bad as the bottom the bottom six is. And we haven't even touched on the defense yet. I'm just going to focus on the bottom six because that is the easiest and cheapest part that should have been to fix this offseason. They did nothing. Not saying that Brock McGinn could have been moved. Whatever. Throw that out the window. Honestly, can't really complain about the Josh Archibald signing. But it goes back to Carter. Clearly, he looks like he's done. He has his moments, but clearly looks like he's done. Ryan Paling, he was a throw-in in a trade. He shouldn't be playing. He, you had his chance. He can be in the minors. He doesn't need to be playing. Kasperi Kapanen, somehow maybe the worst contract on this team, and that's counting Brock McGinn. They're paying him way too much money to just be a completely invisible force on the ice. It is so bad. As I ran here, I just want to make sure I stay on, on target here. The overreaction is that that is from a sect of fans I don't really believe understands what bad penguins hockey is because i don't care if the penguins don't make the playoffs this year i'm still gonna enjoy 87 71 all those guys because i know that in a couple years we're gonna get bad bad penguins hockey again and that era comes to an end where i won't be able to watch the uh those superstars the appropriate reaction is the team is struggling we know what the issues are the issues are not the top six it is the bottom six certain defensemen and the goaltending just needs to be better. So where's my, where's my reaction right now? I think I like to say, that's why I haven't really tweeted too much about it. I think it's right there. It has to be in that sweet spot in the middle because I know that the, what we know what the issue is. It's identifiable. The numbers are all there. It's not coaching. I've saw people calling for Sullivan. Absolutely not. It's not Sullivan can only play the hand he's dealt. It's not Crosby. It's not Malkin. Those guys are doing what they're doing. They're responding to their coach. They're doing what their coaching is asked. It's that, that bottom six and the certain defensemen that are not doing what the team needs. And it's not even that they're just barely keeping their head above water. Most of the time, they are fully underwater. It's killing them. And, again, this is before we even get into the defense or the goaltending. That needs to improve or the Penguins will remain in neutral or going backwards, whatever you want to call it, until those issues are addressed and somehow at least partially rectified. Yeah, you, you hit the nail right on the head. Basically everything you said. And it's funny because uh, I, keep go, I keep going back and thinking about bad Penguins hockey, how you described it. And the, the X generation was before my time, really right before – my time as a Penguins fan. Uh, I, I know you lived through the X generation and what came before the X generation as well. Uh, you've often referred to the late 90s, early 2000s as a, a dark time in Pittsburgh Penguins history. We're obviously not at that point, and we're probably not going to reach that that level of terrible again. 
But let's face facts, Robbie. We have been incredibly spoiled. And I think a lot of people, especially my age, uh, younger Penguins fans that you mentioned that you described there are not used to this. The same thing can be said for the Pittsburgh Steelers. If you're a Steelers fan and a Penguins fan listening to this, uh, I'm not the 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 Penguins aren't clearly uh, approaching the rebuild uh, uh, portion of of their roster like the, the the Steelers are right now. But the the Penguins and Steelers they're they're kind of in flux. They're, we as a fan base, especially younger younger fans, are just not used to this. For the last 15, almost 20 years, going back to 2005, 2006, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers, they were, they, they, the Steelers won the Super Bowl in 2005, then they won again in 2009. The, the, the Penguins won the Stanley Cup 2009, 16, and 17. Incredibly, incredibly spoiled sports town that is now starting to be dealt with a little bit of adversity in terms of its football team and right now as we're seeing it little by little and in increment incremental pieces here it's hockey team and um it's bad hockey you've mentioned the depth players i touched on the depth last week i can't remember if it was a mailbag question that i was answering or if i was uh responding to something that you, you were talking about last week as well but i touched on the depth last week too and we're both saying the same thing a week later and the thing, the thing about it is, Robbie and everyone else listening, is the, the, the Penguins' hands, they're tied because it's not like they have five to seven million dollars in cap space where they can go out and be flexible and act accordingly and respond to what they're not getting from their depth players. Robbie, you, you, you said the cheapest and easiest thing for Ron Hextall, what he should have done over the offseason was address the bottom six, and he he didn't do enough. He put too much loyalty into the Jeff Carter contract extension. Casper Kapanen, like you said, hasn't looked great outside of the first couple of games. Ryan Paling is invisible. Uh, Danton Heinen has cooled off. The, the bottom six is not there. And if the top six isn't doing its heavy lifting because it's a very top-heavy team, and it's been a top-heavy team for a couple of years now, even towards the latter half of the Jim Rutherford era, after the Stanley Cups were won, where he was kind of just flying by the seat of his pants as a general manager. Uh, these teams have been incredibly top-heavy since the end of the, I'd say, 2016-17 season, uh, after the Stanley Cups were won. And again, the Penguins, at last check, had like 80000 in salary cap space. At least they did to start the season. So there's no immediate fix here as... as doom and gloom as that is either this team finds a way to start winning games with the players they have or it, it it could be it could be a season where they don't make the playoffs as 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 drastic and dramatic as that sounds and i know we're only in early november uh it again it's because of this flat salary cap and the penguins current salary cap situation i don't know if teams in the league are going to be actively wheeling and dealing so I, I, there's no there's no bright positive answer here that I can see on the horizon, and it sucks because you know you want to be positive and you want to keep thinking okay they'll right the ship eventually they have Crosby Malkin Gensel and Zucker and you know for the most part goaltending has been okay the last couple of performances haven't been great by Jari and DeSmith both but 
look, we're we're in early November. They've lost six straight. They don't look great. Uh, hopefully, they just find a way to maintain leads again. Because from an external perspective, from a trade perspective or a free agent perspective, there's really not much that they can do, unfortunately, just based on how they constructed, how Hextall constructed his team. Uh, Robbie, we didn't we didn't even begin to talk about the defense. Uh, you spent a lot of time, and I did as well, talking about the bottom six. When when Jeff Petrie was traded for for Mike Matheson, I was I was excited. Looking at that top four on paper of Dumoulin, Latang, Pedersen, Petrie before the season started, I had I had uh, admittedly I had a very strong sense of optimism, thinking that this could be one of the better top fours in the NHL. And Jeff Petrie is definitely not playing up to his contract. Brian Dumoulin continues to regress to a point where I don't know if he should be seeing the ice. And if he is, he should be in a sheltered uh, sheltered role. Uh, I thought getting rid of Mike Matheson's contract in, ex- in exchange for Jeff Petrie was going to be fantastic because I looked at that Matheson contract as like a, a, a death nail from a cap space perspective. But unless Jeff Petrie settles in over the next couple of weeks and months, uh, with three more seasons left on his current contract, paying him upwards of six million dollars, uh, things could uh, things could be pretty hectic on that blue line as well. So this has been a lot of doom and gloom, very negative uh, negative discussion. But unfortunately, either myself and Robbie, I think I can speak for you too on this. We really don't have a lot of positive things to talk about. It's just not a positive stretch of games right now and so the the hope is that maybe if you get teddy bluger back he can somehow uh elevate whatever is left in the bottom six and maybe not make it so top heavy and i know bluger isn't a superly offensively gifted player but you know what what he brings to the penalty kill as well because the penalty kill has been struggling Uh, i know fellow pensburg contributor adam gretz wrote recently wrote a piece on pensburg about the penalty kill which has typically been very strong it was one of the things that the penguins could hang their hat on and they can't even do that this season so uh yeah i wish i could conclude this segment of the podcast with something more positive but i guess the only thing that i can say is uh, I, I just hope this team can find a way to play with a lead and maintain leads going forward because that's really the only way that they're going to be able to pick up points. So it's uh, the, the next game is against the Seattle Kraken at home. And this time next week, maybe we'll have something more positive to talk about. But until then, we're going to flip gears and go into our mailbag segment if you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener and you're interested in contributing to the Mailbag segment, you can do so by following our Pensburg Podcast Twitter account, at Pensburg Pod, at Pensburg P-O-D. Every week we'll put out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this mailbag segment. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been getting some uh, some new contributors that I haven't recognized, at least, to the mailbag. Robbie, as always, you'll get first crack at the mailbag Question number one comes from a new question asker, that one Berg fan. And he asks, he or she asks, is there any realistic chance that Jeff Carter becomes a frequent healthy scratch once Teddy Bluger returns in parentheses? That assumes Ryan Paling Ryan Paling is playing well enough. 
I don't see it because I think uh, the the thing with Carter is he can easily play wing as well. And I think that, I mean, he's making all that money. He preferably not uh, put that in the press box night in and night out. Uh, my guess would be uh, Paling is probably the first odd man out of that roster uh, or the lineup as of right now, the way it shapes up. So, no, I don't see Carter becoming a, or Carter uh, becoming a healthy scratch for the Penguins uh, once he's back and healthy and once Bluger um, is healthy as well. I just don't see uh, Mike Sullivan doing that, and I don't think that that's the right move with to just let that money uh, sit in the press box. Might as well try to squeeze whatever juice out of it you can uh, rather than let it just rot on the tree. Uh, number two from Brian. Uh, are you surprised that Ty Smith hasn't been called up yet? Ty Smith, to his credit, uh, ha- has been playing quite impressively down on the farm in Wilkes-Barre-Scranton. In eight games played, he has two goals, three assists for five points, six penalty minutes. He's a plus two. Um, I was reading, uh, I think Seth Rorabaugh had a, a piece uh, for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review talking about uh, Ty Smith recently having adjusted or still adjusting to the AHL. And one of the tones that I got from reading that was Ty Smith is a fish out of water. And I think even Ty Smith knows that to some extent. And in the article, some of the assistant coaches down in Wilkes-Barre were saying to something to the effect of he could rest on his laurels and continue to mope knowing that he has an NHL caliber skill set, but he's continuing to improve his game and take the lessons of the coaches down in Wilkes-Barre. I don't know if Ty Smith adding to this defensive unit would do really anything for the squad. And that's not an insult to Ty Smith or his game because uh, I've been very high on Ty Smith since the trade was made, shifting Marino to the New Jersey Devils. I think Ty Smith has a bright future as a smooth skating offensive defenseman. At this current juncture, uh, I just, I don't know what you do because he's a left-handed defenseman. If he was a right-handed defenseman, I think he would be up here. I think he could potentially have replaced uh, – I think he could have been put in on the right side uh, maybe to give Jeff Petrie a breather because Petrie hasn't looked great. Um, but he, the fact is he's not, and he, he's not a stay-at-home defenseman either. So it, it's kind of the style doesn't mesh right now. His skill set doesn't mesh right now. Now, and really, as we just spent the last 15 minutes talking about, the Penguins really aren't in a great great place here anyway. They're kind of all over the place. So for the time being, P.O. Joseph is probably going to continue to receive some playing time. And to his credit, to P.O. Joseph's credit, because he's intrinsically linked to Ty Smith at this point, seeing how he got that that spot over Smith. Uh, Joseph hasn't been playing like a like a to- complete disaster. Uh, I think he's improved somewhat in, in the limited playing time he's been getting as well. So while I do think Ty Smith will be up here eventually, whether it be through injury or a force of the hand through bad play, um, I don't know if now necessarily is the right time, given all of the other problems that the Penguins have at this point. Question number three, also from Brian, is the reason why Michelle Briere's number has been retired after only one season because he died so suddenly and tragically? What type of player do you think Briere could have been had he not passed away? Yeah, so this is one for the uh, the historians, the Penguins historians. Uh, basically, Briere was the first 
superstar, the first superstar before Mario, uh, way before Crosby. He was the Penguins' first superstar uh, early, very early in the franchise's uh, history. And he was, yeah, basically their best player um, his rookie season. Again, the Penguins weren't very good, but he did lead them to the playoffs. And he actually scored the first overtime game-winning goal, uh, playoff game-winning goal in Penguins history. Um, but, yeah, so after his first season, he was involved in a car accident and uh, tragically passed away. So he never really even touched uh, his potential as uh, an NHL player. He passed away um, after just his rookie season. Uh, but he was the first superstar of the Pittsburgh Penguins. He just never had the opportunity to play out his potential because of his car accident. But that's why his numbers retired. I mean, he not to say that he would have had a Lemieux-type career, but he was quite clearly a, a highly touted uh, young player, the best player, the best young player the Penguins had, had ever had at that point. And, yeah, that's kind of the way to honor him after um, he tragically passed away after his uh, first season. Uh, but the type of player he could have been is he very well could have been um, a future star. He would have changed probably the course of the early Penguins um, history and maybe even changed the course of the entire franchise um, should he have not passed away. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's up there for more um, as an honor to him, but he was truly the first superstar to ever play in Pittsburgh. It's just unfortunate he never got to uh, live out that career on the ice. Uh, question number four from Floyd Gallagher. Uh, Dumo's play recently has been well-documented, and he just doesn't look like the same player. What do you see the Penguins doing to help the defense and especially the penalty kill? Floyd, if I had the answer, uh, I would gladly share it, but unfortunately I don't. Uh, the defense, and we talked about this earlier in, in the podcast, the defense as it is right now is probably the defense that they're going to stick with. The only other thing I could see is maybe – moving Pedersen up with Latang and putting Pedersen on the top pairing. Um, moving, I would probably move Dumoulin to the third pair and have him play uh, more sheltered minutes. I'd put, I don't know if P.O. Joseph is ready for top four minutes, but at 23, 24 years old, uh, what better time to test the waters on that than now? Uh, I, there, there's really not a whole heck of a lot they can do from a defensive standpoint other than Roll the guys that they have on their NHL roster. And it's becoming clearer and clearer that what we were concerned about last season with Dumoulin is continuing to rear its ugly head and he's continuing to regress. Maybe the aging curve is catching up to him and his typically steady presence just isn't that anymore. And so as again, as as negative and uh, as dark as that may be, it's it's kind of just the hand that they're dealt and the hand that they have to roll with. As it relates to the penalty kill, I think Teddy Bluger's impending return and season debut will help on the penalty kill. Um, I don't know if it's a one-man solution where Bluger comes in and completely retransforms that unit, but uh, it's typically been something, like I said earlier, that the Penguins have been very good at doing, limiting. Uh, the man advantage for the opposing team. I don't know why all of a sudden it's been uh, a point of struggle for them, but Bluger's return will definitely help the PK unit as we get into November and December. Question number five comes from Brandon. 
why doesn't the team put Brian Dumoulin on waivers? No one would grab him, and if they did, it's a free way to dump $4.1 million, and then you could just bring Ty Smith up to the NHL. No one would grab him is quite a statement um, if you understand general managers at all in the NHL. Uh, no, someone absolutely grabbed Brian Dumoulin. He has a year left on his contract at a very reasonable uh, $4 million or something like that. It's really, I mean, for what he does, it's really cheap. And one, that. Two, the Penguins aren't going to do that to a guy that helped them win two Stanley Cups, and I don't believe they should. Uh, there is a certain um, standard by which I think the Penguins operate, and that is below the standard uh, that does not look good to pot- potential free agents or other players you may want to bring into the uh, play for your team. I believe that is um, highly disrespectful. That and Dumlin is not the kind of guy that you would make a move like that on. That's usually one. It's a very rare thing to do. Uh, two, he would absolutely be. He would definitely be selected by someone um, because he has a pedigree. Even if he the on ice results aren't what they used to be. He absolutely has a pedigree that some general manager would absolutely uh, fall for. The contract is friendly-ish for a team looking for some defensive reinforcements. And it's just below the standard the Penguins operate at, and I would not be okay with it. Brian Dumoulin has meant a lot to this franchise, and kind of tossing him aside like that, if you want to trade him, hey, that's fine. Hockey, that's a business. But to just kind of unceremoniously dump him just because you want to save some money against the salary cap that you might not even be ready to use is a pretty low blow to a guy that's been a cornerstone of that blue line and two Stanley Cup teams um, in in the past. And he's been a career Penguin. He's been a loyal Penguin. And to do that would be uh, below, be, uh, below the belt shot. So I do not see the Penguins – uh, stooping to something like that and it financially and in a man in an asset management type of um, situation it's just it's not good business uh, from that aspect as well because he would absolutely be picked up off waivers um, teams would be jumping for it I think you'd have a handful of teams putting in a claim on that and you'd lose him for nothing and yeah just overall Brian Dublin deserves uh, more than that uh, question number six, uh, again from Ryan. Uh, who are the player players that you absolutely cannot stand? Uh, for me, it is the now-retired P.K. Subban and that little rat, Marchand. Uh, this is a fun question. I'm try- and I've been thinking about this since I constructed this week's outline. I don't really... I don't want to... I don't have an irrational hatred towards hockey players like some fans do. If I were to pick two players whose game I really don't like and really don't care for, it would be TJ Oshie and Tom Wilson. Um, both of the Capitals, the, both guys, when things don't go their way on the ice, sometimes they let their emotions get the better of them, and sometimes it seems like they act like big babies uh, in Wilson's case, I don't want to say Wilson is a headhunter because I, I don't think he's that dirty of a player. Um, and I, I'm not going to speak of him because I don't know him personally. The same thing goes for Oshi. Oshi, I don't think is a headhunter. But both players, the way they play the game, 
and from what I've seen from them in the past, some sort of uh, retaliatory actions uh, just didn't sit right with me. So those are two players off the top of my head that uh, I really I, I could care less for. Uh, Ravi, what about you? I, I'll, I'll hand it over to you if you have anybody that comes to your mind. If if there's one player or players in particular that uh, that just don't sit right with you. I mean, I think Tom Wilson's got to be an obvious one, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, Wilson's got to be an obvious one. Can't stand is like a big gap uh, to cross there. I have to say that he doesn't play in the NHL anymore. Scott Hartnell has to be up there. Oh, he got um, under a lot of people's skins. Fans yeah. And- but, I mean, Hartnell was kind of one of those guys, if he would have played in Pittsburgh, everybody would have loved him. Uh, that kind of thing. Um I think PK the uh, the question asker mentioned PK Subban, uh, not to pick on him or anything, but I think a lot of the Subban hate um, is derived from his incident with Jordan Stahl uh, a few year about, about over ten years ago now that when he cut Jordan Stahl on the skate and kind of uh, severely hampered um, a good almost full season of his his early career. Uh, I'm trying to I'm just trying to go with teams off the top of my head here. Uh, obviously, Wilson's the one that sticks out in a big way. Um, can't stand like, Jocko Voracek always bothered me just because he always scored against the Penguins. Though I wouldn't necessarily put that under a can't stand. Oh, Brandon Dubinsky. Um, That's a good is one. probably one. Um, Dubinsky was just just painfully annoying, and he just kind of got to the point where it got like he was just a troll. And the Penguins, I mean, it was just, it was, everybody that plays in Columbus somehow ends up with a little brother syndrome when it comes to the Penguins, it seems like. So I'd say, yeah, Hartnell, Wilson, and Dubinsky are probably my, like, big three that really stick out for me. But, yeah, the three, like, most current ones would definitely be Wilson, uh, Dubinsky, and uh, Hartnell, I'd say, were probably my my three. All righty. Well, that will do it for what has been uh, an uncharacteristically negative episode of the Pennsburg podcast. Uh, I I'm, I typically look at these things, or I try to at least, with a with a glass glass half full kind of attitude. But with the, where the Penguins are right now, uh, it's just not a lot of positive takeaways from the games that have been played. But hey, maybe this time next week they'll maybe get on a little bit of a little bit of a win streak. Maybe they can start to put that bad start behind them. And we can start to talk about some of the more positive developments that come from the Pittsburgh Hockey Club. But until then, I have been Garrett Bahanna for Robbie Noggle. This has been another episode of the Pennsburg Podcast, and we will talk to all of you again this time next week.